Hey guys, welcome to a dual edition of Inside the Asperger Studios slash stories. Today on the show, I'm talking with John Truitt. He is the CEO and founder of On the Spectrum Foundation, which is a organization that takes care of those who have been diagnosed with autism later in life. He's got a lot to say and a lot to share, so make sure you check it out. So sit back, relax, and I'll catch you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to Inside the Asperger Studios, Aspie Edition. Today on the show, I'm joined with John Truitt. He's a CEO, an artist, and also somebody who's been diagnosed late in life with autism. Welcome to the show, John. Oh, thank you very much, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, where would you like me to start? Um, <laughs> not too far back from the beginning. I mean, what's what's dive into when you were diagnosed and go from there. Okay, great. So I'm 48. Um, I'll be 49 here in two weeks. And I was diagnosed at age uh, 45. I had, um, you know, obviously born, born with Asperger's autism, um, had no idea. I'd always been a little different, um, always excelled at certain subjects in school. Um, and then did not excel, particularly in math calculation, uh, math application. I learned that I'm very good at, but as far as calculating, you know, really, really poor, but excel in English history and, uh, and business, putting, putting businesses together. Um, but essentially I'd gotten very, uh, anxious and, and agitated, you know, and that led to, uh, me, seeking out a psychologist to find out exactly what was going on and went through about three days of batteries of tests and found out that I'm on the spectrum as well as being dyslexic, having dyscalculia um, and OCD. Wow. Oh, and, and expressive recessive communication or receptive communication disorder. When did this idea for your organization come up for you? Um, pretty much immediately. It, it, it happened pretty much right after I was I was diagnosed. All right. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization? Uh, yes, it's a 501c3 uh, nonprofit foundation, and we're actually uh, dedicated to identifying and accommodating and becoming advocates for adults who are on the spectrum. Um, we obviously help everybody across the spectrum of, of all ages, regardless of autism or Asperger's. But I found that the adult population, both male and female, uh, particularly on the Asperger's side, is just a, it's a completely um, underserved group of people or even non-served group of people. There's just not really any support or accommodation or, or advocacy for us folks out there. So that's really the point of the foundation. All right. What kind of services are you planning to offer with your organization? Well, we, you know, just recently 
started. I had the idea for it in, uh, like I said, right after I was diagnosed and, and got the foundation going in 2019. So right now it's a lot of awareness, um, you know, speaking schools, pretty much anywhere, you know, any, anywhere anybody mm-hmm. will listen. And we'd like that to eventuate into a couple of projects. Uh, one of them being a movie that uh, stars exclusively folks on the spectrum, or at least in sp- people that are depicted on screen, definitely in spectrum roles and then as much production writing, um, et cetera. So that's, that's something that I feel like really needs to be out there. I'm sure you're well aware of the latest debacle yeah. with SIA which, you know, isn't, it's not the first time. So I feel like that that's really important for those of us on the spectrum to really portray a story that comes from our angle. And then the other major initiative is a facility where we plan on bringing folks in for periods of two weeks at a Mm -hmm. time and going through everything from nutrition to good sleep, um, you know, all the things that we can do to to accommodate, including getting away from noises and lights and all of that. And then uh, toward the toward the latter part of that, uh, really helping folks find what uh, what vocation may be best suitable for them. So that would involve, you know, lecturers coming in and us, um, you know, having the ability for folks to to touch things, ask questions, really, really do whatever and hopefully steer them toward a, a productive career. Wow. I mean, some of your stuff sounds like stuff I want to do. I mean, I have this idea in my head and I've had it for a while about starting a, a, um, a, a business or an organization where it'd be called a sanctuary, where it's for those on the spectrum who are going, who are dealing with, like you're coming right out of school and you, and you're dealing with sensory overload and you need a place to go before you hit home. Because by the time you get from school to home, you're almost burnt out. I want to play. Yeah. That's a a place where you have therapists that are and trained staff that will ask the first question they'll ask is, have you told your parents you're coming here? I'll have sensory inclusive rooms. Um, they can spend maybe the weekend. They can spend the weekend if they're younger, as long as they tell their parents. If they're older, they can spend longer than the weekend. Fully phone charge banks and everything. Oh, that's great. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, where do you see your where do you see your organization five years from now? Well, um, I, I really hope to to take it as big as possible, as, as quickly as possible. Um, prior to, to getting diagnosed, uh, I had a career in the medical device industry, which included listing a company on the Australian Stock Exchange and then creating a company here in the States that uh, was a multi-unit um, organization that diagnosed and treated uh, obstructive mm-hmm. sleep apnea with a product that's an alternative to CPAP. So I plan on leveraging that experience and my contacts in this and and really trying to take the thing large and national as as fast as possible. Well, sleep I know is a big issue, especially with with, um, neurodiverse people. I mean, like, especially with me, I know, for example, I have trouble sleeping and I've even did research and found that um, insomnia goes hand in hand almost with autism. Absolutely. I'm the same. Always. What is your key secrets to helping you sleep? 
Well, unfortunately, I'm I'm in the same boat as as everybody else. I mean, I, I obviously know the the good habits of sleep hygiene, which um, you've already had a guest yeah. on who uh, who covered that, and she did a, an incredible job of covering just the gener- generalities of you know, what one should do to help wind down. But as you know, just our minds don't really turn off. It's, it's very difficult. I actually got about three hours of sleep last night. Um, So it's just, it's really tough. And one of the other things I want to do with my foundation are leverage the contacts that I have in sleep medicine and hopefully do a proper study, like a double blind placebo-based crossover study where we have, you know, neurotypicals as well as those of us on the spectrum and really go through the full process and see how our brains are, you know, acting differently through all of the stages of sleep, uh, just to see if we can, you know, to see, to see what uh, academic evidence that they have that we can combine with the empirical evidence and, and hopefully come up with some solutions. Um, I'm convinced something around that obviously will be with destimulating, you know, destimulating ourselves and not getting overstimulated. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, reduction in, in lights and sounds, but not, not just at bedtime. I think that's got to be, you know, a 24 hour thing probably to bring the anxiety down. I think one of the main issues of sleep and in today's society, correct me if I'm wrong, is the fact that we can't put our phones down. 100%. You'll have parents and you'll have kids who who, um, will sit there and play on their phone until wee hours of the night. I mean, and not to bring things back to myself, but I, when I first started, blogging and stuff i had a woman come to me email me and say can you help me with my son he i can't get him to get he stays up into wee hours of the night and he's by the time he falls asleep he doesn't get enough sleep and he's exhausted what can i do i'm like well there's a couple of things you can do first of all you need to limit cut down his screen time and if mm-hmm. he neglects to do hand over his phone or turn it off and he's tempted to, the big issue with screen time is the blue light from the phone. There are many blue light apps out there you can install on the phone. They'll drop that light down and you can even tell it to, I told you, you can tell it to go uh, on at a certain time at night. So he can still be on the phone, but you gotta you got to reinforce the rule of no electronics at a certain point. Otherwise he'll be up all night. Now, absolutely. And the blue light, as you say, is a, is a big deal. Um, but even just the stimulation, the mental stimulation of, you know, continuing to read an article or looking at something on Wikipedia mm-hmm. or constantly checking, you know, your Facebook things that, that will also just, con- you know, it'll continue to keep you up because your mind continues to race. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an issue. It's definitely for, and it well, it's an issue for almost everybody in America now because society is so over caffeinated and it's so, you know, drive, drive, drive. But um, there are definitely some some things you can do. And again, it was covered in one of your earlier podcasts, but keeping the room mm-hmm. dark and cool, um, a bath. I used bed. to do that all the uh, time. It, I used it, to meditate in the bath all the time. Fortunately, my bath yeah, is that, that's small. Great. It gets kind of encumbersome. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's a good it's a good way to do it. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with diphenhydramine. It's the ingredient that's in Benadryl and most over-the-counter sleep aids in the States. Uh, there's a study out there showing that a warm bath like that is the equivalent of taking uh, 25 milligrams of diphenhydramine. Wow 
which is one one benefit one benadyl drill yeah. tablet so yeah it's pretty can be pretty powerful but it's you know i find a lot of people don't really follow no. the protocols they kind of know what to do but then don't I do mean, it i don't know if you've ever heard of a website called sleepio they're no. i was looking for ways to help me sleep and they're an english company and they walk you through a whole program you can sign up for free or and they'll walk you through a whole program and one of the things i learned is there's a difference between um act an active mind and a passive mind when you when you want to relax if you're watching tv your mind is active because you have stuff constantly going on if you're reading a mm. book it's passive because it's quiet you're there's nothing there's no emotion your mind doesn't have to focus on anything so that's why they suggest reading before you go to bed yeah that's great no and i i had not seen that or heard that but it makes perfect sense yeah um so um uh, (laughs) hang on one second do you plan to offer any kind of social services once you're up and running well, as far as I guess social services in, in, in what regard? I mean, we're going to be doing a lot of community outreach. Um, you know, I'm life coaching and for folks that can can pay to have the life coaching. I'm, I'm definitely doing that, but doing a lot of it uh, gratis and pro bono for folks that can't mm-hmm. afford it. Um, and then we hope within the foundation to, to be able to sponsor some of those folks that are coming through the facility. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people can't can't pay for a two week, uh, you know, can't, just can't do it. They can't can't afford to pay for the plane flight or much less pay for the uh, facility and the accommodation. So, yeah, really, really, my goal in this is to kind of Robin Hood it a little bit. And the folks that, you know, have have enough money to, to pay for themselves and possibly somebody else uh, get that sponsored and then then loop that back in. And we're, we're working with a, a couple of other 501c3s. Uh, one group has a bed that is a destimulating bed. It's kind of like a chamber. So we'll be sponsoring and paying for portions of those to, to help get those to lower income families. So yeah, th- things like, like that. All right. Um, that's very nice to hear. I mean, because a lot of people out there are struggling. I mean, one of the big things you hear with autism is either no work and they can't pay for services like coaching or all that and that's why a lot of the services out there are either affordable or on a sliding scale right and i think we ultimately will apply that sliding scale that that's really the i think the way to go i mean it's the most fair it seems to be the most fair i mean what about helping with job finding are you going to have some kind of service like that Absolutely. So toward the latter part of that two week experience I was talking about, that's where we'll kind of not steer folks toward a a career, but allow them to, you know, just kind of almost sample everything and get as much info as they can. And um, we're teaming up with another uh, 501c3 uh, called MindShift and MindShift places folks uh, across the USA. Um, they're a 75 head count 501c3 that's been around since mm-hmm. 2013. So the idea there is that we're attracting, um, you know, the folks in and, and giving them, you know, all the good 
habits and accommodations and kind of preparing them for what it would be like in the workforce. And then we let the professionals at, at, at MindShifts come in and uh, hopefully place them in uh, Aspie and uh, autistic friendly environments. Very good. What was your response to when you found out you, you were on the spectrum? Um, it was an overall positive response. I was a little surprised at first because I don't really present um, as classic mm-hmm. Asperger's. I, I overall make a pretty good eye contact. I'm not super articulate right now because I'm overstemmed and didn't sleep last night. But um, usually I'm very articulate in my in my businesses. I've you know cut my own radio ads and TV spots and you know speak to to large groups. So um, that was a little bit of a surprise, but once I understood like very quickly within a week, what it really is, you know, that it, that, that it's always not somebody who's in their basement playing video games, who's a computer programmer that won't look you in the eye, which is kind of the classic yeah. stereotype. Um, you know, once I understood it, I, I embraced it and my wife and uh, overwhelming majority of my friends, you know, immediately said, you know, Oh God, this makes, you know, this makes perfect sense. So it's nice to have a fact that your wife is very supporting in the fact that under that you have autism. I mean, there are a lot of people who have trouble with relationships because of that. I know. Well, and we were having trouble with our relationship. That's actually what led to my diagnosis. Um, we've been married. We were married in uh, 2003, um, have been dating for uh, since 2001. So what is that? 20 years. And um, yeah, our marriage was getting very difficult and I was extremely anxious and wound up, which led me to become, you know, angry and, you know, all of the things that go with it. But um, again, once I was diagnosed, I mean, my, my wife had no hesitation mm-hmm. whatsoever that, uh, that this is, you know, exactly what it was. She became immediately involved, um, you know, in my therapy with my, with my doctor. Um, she's been through many, many sessions with me, as have um, a number of my close friends. And when I when I say sessions like Ashley, my wife has probably been through 30 plus with me and a couple of my friends have been through 20 or so sessions. So just a really, really supportive, uh, you know, network around me that I think has definitely helped. A that's, lot. I mean, I have to say that's very supportive. I mean, it's hard to find friends and family that are supportive of the fact that you're diagnosed. I mean, I've read stories and heard stories of families who just won't acknowledge the diagnosis and will just pass it off as being lazy or unmotivated. And that's all they did. They won't go any further. Yeah. And I I mean, I find that just to be tragic and I'm really pleased you know, on a personal level that I didn't have to experience that. But again, that's one of the things that the 501c3 will will help address, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, very, very much part of the vision and goal is to is to try to try to completely dispel that type of, of attitude. Anyways, let's get to let's get to know a little bit more about you. Where'd you grow up? Um, I was born in Gainesville, Texas. Um, I did a lot of international travel starting at about four years old. My father is an international lecturer and clinician who speaks on maxillofacial orthopedics, orthodontics in TMG, TMD, or TMJ, TMD, uh, which 
became a special interest of mine because I followed him around the world, you know, learning his seminars. And that's actually what led to my medical device career. But so Gainesville, Texas, lots of travel. At age 14, I moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee to go to boarding school, but a boarding school called Macaulay. Um, did two years there, came back, lived in Rockwall, Texas, graduated from high school there, and then went to college in Denton at the University of North Texas. Uh, joined the Army, uh, lived in Hawaii for three years. I was a light infantry combat medic, a light infantry air assault combat medic in the 25th mm-hmm. Infantry. Um, came back briefly to Gainesville, Texas, uh, got involved in the medical device industry, moved to Australia, became a, a permanent resident of Australia, and that's where we listed the company in the stock exchange. Uh, moved back to Texas in 06 and was here 10 years, and then in 2016, moved to Durango, Colorado. Wow. You moved around a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did, we did some moving, but I, I really uh, enjoyed it, and I believe that all of that travel, uh, particularly the when I was younger, being exposed to as much as I've had, I think it did a huge uh, amount of benefit for me um, as a person with with Asperger's, having to to constantly kind of reset. Um, you know, I think I think that was invaluable. And then also, um, you know, we were places like Paris, London, Rome over and over going to museums and um, having dyslexia and being a visual thinker. Uh, I don't know if you've been to any. Well, I know absolutely you've been to the UK. I know a little bit about your yeah. background, but you you know, you have headphones on. So they're speaking to you in English. They have all the visuals in front of you. And then you're actually seeing, you know, say the Sistine Chapel or whatever. So that combining all those senses um, really helped me learn all of that and created a great interest. Yeah, in I mean, those yeah things. I've been through Europe. I mean, it's, it's such a forward-thinking country. No matter where you are, England, <laughs> um, France, Germany, they're all forward-thinking than we are, and it's just a shock. I mean, and, I'm, and I believe I told you when I first went to England, it was kind of a culture shock to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they, they are further ahead in a lot of areas and definitely, you know, spectrum issues, Asperger's, autism. I mean, Australia in particular is really, really out there leading the way. Uh, the UK um, with uh, Baron Cohen and his work and just how they were able to get that out and get it into the, you know, the public realm um, and even Canada where we're in the in the Western English speaking world. I, we're we're dead last yeah. on acceptance and understanding. Anyways, what motivates you, inspires you and drives you? Motivates me, inspires me, and drives me. Um, again, my special interests are I, I love anything to do with history. Um, probably as far as inspiration, it's building things. And it's all the way from building companies to playing with Legos to, build, you know, b- building a tree fort, whatever. I, I love to create things. Um, and then that also led into the art, which obviously you're creating things there. So I'm, I'm right now, a huge special interest is, is the art. And that's a, a really big outlet right. for me. What was the best compliment you've ever gotten? Best compliment I've ever gotten. Uh, oh, wow. That's a that's a good question. Um, probably that I am a, a great problem solver. All right. Not not emotional <laughs> problems. <laughs> Tangible problems. Right. What's your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? 
my biggest failure was not understanding my strengths and weaknesses um, when it came to both social things and in and in business. Um, you know, I've, up until my diagnosis, I, I felt like I had to be kind of good at, at everything, basically. Um, and I, I had kind of self-accommodated in my businesses because I didn't go through the normal um, experience of really working for anyone else. Mm-hmm. And when you're creating the businesses, you can really kind of self-accommodate through it. So I always had a strong uh, chief financial officer and a strong chief operations officer, um, you know, directly porting to me is kind of right and left hand. So I never thought that I was great, uh, you know, at, at putting those things um, together. But I definitely uh, did not understand my strengths and weaknesses until, until my diagnosis, yeah. for sure. And then on the social side of it, you know, um, just I, I really, really regret uh, not being able to read body languages and faces and understand sarcasm. Um, I, I literally understand simple sarcasm. I, I'm zero. Like I, in my in, in we, this uh, battery of tests that I did, that's one of the things they tested for. And out of 100, I scored wow. one. So, so if it's if it's entente and, you know, humor and kind of more advanced, uh, like English, you and I discussed kind of English humor, you know, those type of more complicated things. I've I love those and very much understand them. But uh, simple sarcasm, which most neurotypicals use often as humor, um, I would miss it and get offended by what they would say because I'd miss the miss the look or the or the body language. So that's something that I, I really regret in the in the past happening. And and now I can kind of catch it when it does. Yeah, you I mean not to go back to me, but it's the same thing with me. I mean, my family's always been a little bit sarcastic, my brother and my father, and they'll always catch me off guard. And my mom will always be the one that will say they were joking, Reed. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a similar experience to what. Uh, well, it's a similar experience to what I have come to learn from my friends. Yeah. Anyways, tell me about three influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Uh, three influential people in my life. Um, well, my wife is probably the most influential um, impact wise. And as I said, kind of, you know, going through this whole whole process and obviously prior to that, she and I were always a team, um, you know, whether it was doing companies together, um, you know, anything. She's always provided the structure and support. Uh, I also, uh, my parents divorced when I was uh, eight months old. Wow. And I had wonderful step parents. So I've never viewed divorce as a as a negative. Um, it was actually a positive. I look at it as I got four parents out of it instead of two. And they all possessed very uh, unique skill sets and, you know, bodies of experience, which really I think was beneficial. And probably my best friend, Pierce, who uh, he and I were born next door to each other uh, six weeks apart. Um, I mentioned I went to boarding school. We grew up here in Gainesville. Texas together, went to boarding school together. Uh, he ended up going to Trinity University in college. So we split physically then, but have remained, you know, very close friends our whole life. And he's actually on the board of my foundation. All right. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Uh, when I'm in, when I'm around a group that really understands uh, my strengths and weaknesses 
Um, when we're on a subject that I feel like I know a lot about or I'm prolific in and I can teach and, you know, kind of lead that, that that's my, my leadership style. I'm not a, I'm not a physically large guy, so I don't lead through, you know, physicality. I lead uh, really through, through educating and teaching. So I really, really enjoy right. that. Finish this sentence. I'm at my best when. I'm at my best when I'm not overstimulated and relaxed. Very good. I think most of us can agree to that one. All right. If you can turn back time and talk to your younger self about where you are now, what would you tell them? Well, if I could turn back time, the first thing I would want is a diagnosis as early as I possibly could. Um, so I would tell them, I would go tell myself that, you know, look, these, these strengths that you have, you know, run even harder with those and the weaknesses that you're coming across, um, you know, don't beat yourself up over that. Um, in my experience in school, I was uh, what they call 2E. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's twice exceptional. No. And it's when you're talented and gifted and then have uh, a disability or, or a difference. So I, I was never in remedial classes or anything like that. I, I would vacillate in between honors classes and regular classes. And any time that I didn't get into an honors class, I really got beaten over the head that I was being lazy or I wasn't paying attention, you know, or I was distracted or that kind of thing. And that became really frustrated because kind of in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, why am I not in that honors math class? Well, it's because I have this calculator. Right. <laughs> If you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Uh, well, at this point, it would be advertising my foundation <laughs> because it, at my heart, I'm a business development and marketing guy. And uh, yeah, ab absolutely. That's what I would have in the billboard. Um, 100%. Right. What do you what do you think the world would look like in five years from now? Oh, man. Uh, that's a that's a tough one. And, and I hope it looks better than I currently uh, think it is. I mean, re regardless of your politics, it's just it's it's not uh, it's it's just not good. And it's probably uh, I'm probably very skewed by that right now over what's going on in Afghanistan. Um, I have a, a friend that I served with. We I, I'm, I'm you know not old enough to or I am too old to have been in Afghanistan when I got out, but uh, he served with us, got out and then went back in and unfortunately um, lost his life over there. And he's in Arlington national mm -hmm. cemetery. And, you know, you just see the way that uh, the, the exit has been handled um, and really the policy toward Afghanistan from 1979. And then even back from there, it's just a complete debacle, but uh yeah, that's probably really, I, I'm sure you get like this as well, you know, something sticks yeah. in your head. So I kind of have a dark view right now, but um, I'm hoping, you know, from our perspective, that awareness of the spectrum and the positive differences really start to shine through over the next five years. Um, I kind of stole a quote from from my, my doctor that really the goal is you know, there we are different on the spectrum. We're different, but we're not different bad. We're different good. So to really show those, you know, those strengths. And I'm hoping that over the next five years plus that that really starts to come out. And, you know, I think, uh, again, regardless of your politics, whether you like Greta or you like Elon Musk, I mean, they're kind of at opposite ends in a way of everything. They're both mm -hmm. on the spectrum and they're, you know, smart, powerful people. You have, you know, Hopkins, 
who is uh, very, very much an advocate now. Sir Anthony mm-hmm. Hopkins is an actor, Dan Aykroyd. I mean, Chris Rock, you know, Daryl Hannah. We can, we can go on and on. Absolutely. And, you know, suspected Steve, Steve Jobs and um, probably Zuckerberg and Gates. And, you know, it's it's uh, I, I see it as, as quite an honor to have Asperger's. I mean, if you if you look at who's in the club, it's a pretty cool club yeah. to be in. I'm guessing you would consider yourself an extrovert. Um, yes, by, by all appearances, yes. Um, but if you read most personality tests and the rest of it, um, extroversion versus introversion is where you actually charge up and, and get energy. So that is something I really had to learn after I was diagnosed because yes, I, I really come off as a huge extrovert and it was really grinding me down. Mm. So I, you know, have to take time and, and I, and I don't really like spending time by myself or trying to relax because I want to engage with people. Um, but if I don't, you know, things start to spiral with anxiety, which then turns into depression and they go south. I know that feeling. I mean, anytime I have, gone to a family outing it's by the time i get home i gotta just find a place and just veg out and just let my mind quiet down yeah yeah and i've i've now been able to pick up on on when i need to do that much much better um you know i i really uh to be honest with you I didn't even understand what anxiety was or, or felt like until after I was diagnosed and um, actually started taking a couple mm. medicines. And I can remember the first time I didn't feel anxiety and it almost felt uncomfortable because it was such a new feeling. Um, I very much like the feeling now, but it was, it was like, wow, I haven't, I haven't felt this before, at least since I was a very young child. All right. What was your favorite subject in school? History. All right. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be and why? Um, again, hopefully this foundation, if I can get it to where, where it uh, needs to be. If you would have asked me uh, four years ago, I would have said I wanted to be remembered for you know being instrumental in creating a therapy that was an alternative to CPAP that really helps save a lot of lives. Um, you know, there's a lot of comorbidities with obstructive sleep apnea, type two diabetes, heart attack, stroke, all that kind of stuff. And I'm very proud of, of that body of work, but, uh, ultimately I believe that what I, you know, my team and I and others can, can achieve here with awareness and advocacy for the spectrum. That's really how I'd like to be remembered. Now we go on to the more of fun questions. What is your favorite word? What is my favorite word? Uh, serendipity. What is your least favorite word? Least favorite word. Uh, no. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, and emotionally? Uh, creativity wise, uh, painting, music, uh, and writing lyrics. Um, from a spiritual standpoint, um, I live in Colorado and I can find places up high where I take my dog and there's no noise, no people, nothing. And we can just spend the day. Uh, what was the third one? Emotionally, uh, just when I'm in stasis and around my friends, you know, when I, when I'm not wound up and I'm around good friends and, and family and having good conversations, that's really, really right. the best what turns there. You off? Uh, sarcasm turns me off more than anything probably on the planet. Uh, 
mean people, and I know that that sounds almost elementary, but people that just, you know, they, they are mean to someone else or an animal just because they can be. Um, yeah, uh, lack of justice. I have a real thing with things being fair, regardless of, you know, who's right. Fair is a, is a big thing for me. All right. What's your favorite cuss word? Um, well, living in Australia, they drop the F bomb. Like, I think you get kicked out of the country if you don't say fuck at least 20 times before lunch. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and it means like 50 different things. It can be wonderful. It can be bad. So pro- probably the right. F bomb. What's your favorite <laughs> sound or noise? I don't have any noises that, that I like uh, at all. From a sound standpoint, um, it's really the, the sound that, that's of a respirator breathing when I'm scuba diving. Sure. That, that in and out. Not a problem. <laughs> what sound? Lots of distractions. What? I said I've got lots all of distractions right. here what today. What sound or noise do you hate? Okay. Anything high pitched. I, I really can't stand that. Um, in any surprise sound, um, you know, like when, when I was in the army, um, explosions that, that I didn't know were coming, you know, when you're, when you're going to do a, a, a training exercise and you're, you kind of have a good idea of what's going on. Those noises didn't bother me, but any kind of surprise, um, I, we actually found out on the high pitch deal that my wife and I used to get into an argument every morning about nine o'clock in the morning. And we went through and noticed I, we kind of started a, an argument after I'd been diagnosed and said, OK, let's you know calm down here for a second. And we have a Samsung dryer that plays this infernal little I tune got the same at thing. the end of it. OK, that, that was it. We had to turn turn that off. I can't I- anything like that. Uh, the ticking of a clock will drive me absolutely insane. Dripping of water. Um all that stuff. I, I'm really sensitive to noise and light. I, that's funny. I'm almost, I am sensitive to light and smell. I have an incredible, I have an okay. incredible sense of smell and hearing. I could be in a noisy place with my parents and I could hear her phone ring in her purse and she couldn't. I mean, wow. I've been told by two different wow. ear doctors that I have incredible hearing for someone my age. Wow. So I'm, um, well, definitely the opposite on smelling. I've always, that's always been a hypo thing, not a hyper thing for me. Um, my sense of smell has always been fairly poor. My hearing itself isn't really good or bad, but I can distinguish different sounds uh, that generally other people can't. So like if I'm listening to a piece of music, I'll hear things in the music that they're doing that other people can't hear or be able to separate parts of it. Try that audio test where basically the younger hear one word and the older hear another word. Um, Not that one. I've done the one where it's left and right ear and then you're having to do it over background noise and then you're having to identify the words. I've done that one, but no, I'm not familiar with the one that you're talking Uh, about. Okay. What is your favorite color? Blue. What's Absolutely. your least favorite color? Red and yellow. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? 
Um, I would have loved to have been a history professor. What profession would you not like to do? Math teacher. <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> didn't think we didn't think we'd be seeing you. <laughs> when you arrive at heaven, who would you like to meet? Uh, my grandparents. And um, who would you like to interview in your life, dead or alive, but not a not a um, celebrity? Dead or alive, but not a celebrity. Um, gosh, probably my great great grandfather who was in the All Civil right. War. Lots of celebrities I love. So not, not so much celebrities, but known people I would, would love and to. Finally, interview. what book would you recommend to my audience? Um, as far as as far as Asperger's and autism specifically Any, or in just general. in general? A um, couple of my favorites are the electric Kool-Aid acid test on the road by Kerouac and anything by Steinbeck. And finally, where can people reach you? Uh, they can reach me at uh, my email address is john at on the spectrum foundation.com. So we have a website and it's simply my first name at. And that's it, folks. John Truitt, advocate, painter, and one hell of a nice guy. Thanks for coming on the show, John. Reed, thank you so much for inviting me. I really, uh, really appreciate it. And I wish you the best with all these podcasts. Thank you very much.
It's a good life, so don't go waste it Stop a second, cause I know you can taste it Tell me what you wanna do, and then we're gonna make it a